Our society's in trouble because modern people are in complete denial that we are all driven by something, and thus every single one of us is in a slave-master relationship. Everybody has a master, and everybody's slave to something, and it's the thing that you think is going to deliver your self-worth. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to the program. We're moving right along in the questions series as Pastor Jeff addresses questions from his church community. Today's topic, why can't I be free to live as I like? It's perhaps something that we've all asked at least once in our lives. And if you missed the start of this message, you're going to want to catch up. So just search for Today with Jeff Fines on your favorite podcast platform. Here's Pastor Jeff to finish the message on living free. Now here's the key to this message. The mutual sacrifice of autonomy leads to a wonderful kind of liberation that only love can bring. The mutual sacrifice of autonomy, in other words, I'm giving up my autonomy, you're giving up yours, leads to a wonderful kind of liberation that only love can bring. How can that be true that by giving up my freedom to do whatever I want to do that I end up finding that I'm incredibly liberated? And how do we know that only love can bring that kind of liberation? Now, stay with me. This is where you got to walk with me through this. And I, I see a lot of my young staff is here. And so I, you really need to focus in on this, okay? When I was younger, for most of my life, the most free that I felt during a weekend is on Sunday night around 7 o'clock. For about a period of, say, 12 hours, I felt incredibly free. Here's why. Because for the first years of my ministry, my significance, my self-worth, my self-esteem was all tied to how well I did on the weekend. Okay? So if I walked off the stage after a weekend and I went home and I felt I had done a good job, then I felt valuable. I felt that my life had purpose and meaning. And so for those few hours... I was no longer trying to get those kind of things from things that were never meant to deliver them. Or was I? My hope, my purpose, my significance, everything was tied to my job. That's a horrible life to live. Because I would only have a few hours of peace until Monday morning came and guess what happened? It all started again. And then as I got older, things changed. Because I noticed that the more I fell in love with my wife, the less I needed everything else in the world that I thought could give me the things that only my wife could give. Because she would love me unconditionally. My significance and my purpose and my meaning and my self-esteem and self-worth came from my love relationship with her. And yet still something was missing, but I was getting closer. You see, so now because I had in my relationship with my wife, the things I was looking for, the things that we're ultimately all looking for, what happened is I started to experience the things that previously I had used as a means 
to give me self-esteem, self-worth, value. I started to use those more in an appropriate fashion. Now, here's where all this comes together. You cannot live without love. It's impossible. There's something in you that this void can only be filled by a love relationship. Everybody in the room loves someone or something. And your ultimate self-esteem and self-worth is tied to that thing. Everyone has a supreme love, and that is the person or the thing that gives meaning and purpose to their lives. It's your career, a political cause, money, position. Whatever it is in your life that brings you the greatest satisfaction is the thing that you're going to tie yourself to in hopes that it will deliver what you're ultimately looking for. Self-worth, self-esteem, purpose, meaning, the thing we're all after. And so that thing that you've tied yourself to in hopes that it will deliver those things to you, you begin to worship. You will serve it. You will obey it. You will worship it. This is where our society's in trouble because modern people are in complete denial that we are all driven by something And thus, every single one of us in the room is in a slave-master relationship. Everybody has a master. And everybody's slave to something. And it's the thing that you think is going to deliver your self-worth and self-esteem. Let me tell you, pastors are the worst. They are. They get their self-esteem out of people approval. And they tie themselves to it. So they go through seasons in their life where they feel miserable, dejected because they think they're not succeeding. And when you tie your self-esteem to the number of people in your church, man, you're really in trouble. Not only because it'll never deliver, but because you start treating people as a commodity, as a means to your end. You're not really concerned about them. You're just concerned about the seat and how many people are in them. That's a horrific temptation. Everybody loves and worships something. Everybody in this room is in a master-slave relationship. There is no such thing as autonomy in the sense of total freedom without any restrictions. You're serving something or someone, whether you're willing to admit it or not. Listen to David Foster, who's an Australian. He's a postmodern novelist. He's not a Christ follower. Listen to these words. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of life, He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get to make is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God, he says, or spiritual thing to worship, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. I am living proof of disintegration. (laughs) Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Be seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. There is a default setting in everybody in this room. Whatever is your source of meaning and satisfaction in life, that is the thing you're worshiping. That is your master and you are its slave. Whatever it is you're living for, you have to have it. 
Don't you understand that's why you're so depressed and anxious and angry? Because that thing that you've tied your life to, that master, you can never do enough. Cynthia Heimel, writing for the New York newspaper, a journal, and I think I've used this before, but she says she knew most of the Hollywood stars before they were stars. She knew them when they were blue-collar workers. And let's face it, most of us place a halo around the head of those in Hollywood. We think, man, if we could just have that be like them, be on the big screen, then, man, we would be at peace. We'd have everything we want. You never stop to think about the suicide rate, the drug rate, the divorce rate. Something's going on over there. She says she knew them when they were struggling to make ends meet and playing the only if game, only if my ship would come in. She said in those stages, they were occasionally stressed or driven, frustrated with common tendencies toward anger and maybe hostility. She says that's how people are when they don't have the thing they think will make everything all right. She says, but when they finally get what they want, they become awful. When their ship comes in, they become unstable, angrier, manic, and unhappier. She says, I pity celebrities. I really do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. They wanted fame, so they worked, pushed, and shoved. Yet the morning after each one of these became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because they that giant thing that was going to make everything okay, make their lives bearable, give meaning and purpose to their lives, happened, and they were still them. The disillusion turned them howling and insufferable. The thing that you love, the thing you trust in, the thing you think gives you meaning, hope, and purpose in this life and in this world, if you don't get it, you'll become suicidal because your very identity is at stake. I just finished reading Nabil Qureshi's book on Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Interesting book. He was raised Muslim, Islam, knew the Quran very well and the teaching of his imam. But he met a friend in college that gave him the objective arguments of why the Bible can be trusted and why Jesus brought abundant life. Because Nabil is so clever, so smart, very high intellect, and has become a New York Times bestseller seller on numerous occasions. He says in his book that even when he started to see that Jesus was indeed coherent in his teaching of origin, meaning, morality, destiny, and that Jesus was indeed the way to life, he said even when he came to understand that these were objective truths that could not be denied, he said, I still could not become a Christian because my identity was at stake. I am a Muslim. Everything that I am, I have been created and molded and shaped by my community and culture. To become a Christian would mean I would have to start all over. I would lose my very self. And the more I read, the more I thought of John 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven until you're born again. Nicodemus, you've got to start all over. And he said to his friend, must I have a new identity, a new me? And the answer was yes. And he started all over. Man, when you attack somebody's identity, man, that's why religious people get so angry. You're not just attacking their theology or philosophy, you're attacking their identity. But religious people, that, that, that's with anyone. And that's why when you make a statement like this, someone will come along and say, Pastor Jeff, that right there is why I don't like religion. But you're missing the point. There's no such thing as a non-religious person. <laughs> There's no such thing. 
Everyone places their hope and meaning into something, their security and meaning into something or someone, their love, their meaning, their satisfaction in their lives. Everyone is under the control of something they think is going to deliver. That's religion. Everyone serves a master. They hope will give them what they want. No one is masterless. No one is truly free. We all serve, trust in, and obey something. We are all in a master-slave relationship. And now we can read what Jesus has to say in Matthew. Come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We read the passage, and then today, we're just kind of lazy, so it doesn't appeal to us like it has in generations in the past. Because we say, wait a minute, Jesus says my yoke is easy, but I vote for no yoke at all. Jesus said, come to me, my burden is light. Well, I, I vote for no burden at all. That's the guy I'm looking for. But a burden-free, yoke-free life is impossible because we're all slaves to some master. We're all driven. That's what a yoke does, remember? It ties the oxen together and drives them. Everybody's tied to something that we hope will take us in the direction of fulfillment and satisfaction of the soul. And whatever we think that is, more money, more stuff, a love, a marriage, whatever, that's the thing that drives us. And we're all carrying a burden because that puts a weight on us. By the master, whoever, whatever we serve, it burdens us down. And here's Jesus' simple challenge in Matthew 11. If that's true, then the ultimate question everyone should ask is which master will affirm, cherish, empower, and honor us, and which ones will exploit and abuse us? Which master can we trust to give us the type of constraints that will truly make us free? Because all masters will require something. Which master is the right master that we can give our hearts and our lives to that we can trust? You're, again, you're free to jump off a cliff, but you will not bounce. So you want somebody to tell you what you shouldn't do, not to be the big bad cosmic boss so that you can truly live. If you live for stuff, your soul will die. If you use your job as a means to self-worth and self-esteem, when you get to the top, you'll be amazed at how overwhelmingly disappointed you are with this overwhelming sense of despair. If you put all your hope and trust in marriage, that one day if you can just be married, let me tell you, marriage is a precursor to what God can do, but it won't deliver ultimate satisfaction, meaning, hope, and purpose. If you serve your career, your career will crucify you with self-loathing every time you fail. If you serve your body, it will crucify you with self-destruction. Because you will age and you will get little auxiliary arms. <laughs> and your waist will spread and your hairline will recede. If you serve every untamed passion without parameters, you're going to be like the sailboat that smashes up against the rock if you use your body in a way that it was never meant to be used, if you don't follow the design manual, disintegration sets in. Now, here's where somebody says, but hold on, Pastor Jeff. It's my boat. 
So if I want to destroy it on the rocks, it's my business. That would only be true if you were self-sustaining and you're not. You depend on others, others depend on you. Whatever decision you make to a degree impacts everyone. And that's why even suicide leaves wounds that you don't have the right to leave. What's the answer then? Oh, here's where the beauty of this passage comes. Choose a master that will not exploit you, who always delivers what he promises. Serve the master who's already proven your worth by dying on a cross for you and giving you ultimately that which you're searching for. Safety, security, and hope eternal. A significance that never fades, a worth that never dissipates, a meaning and purpose that always rings true because none of these things are based on you. Where are you in this? How do we know what master to choose? It should be the one who made us and designed us. And the one who's shown that he will do whatever it takes to help those far come near, even if it means giving up his own son. And let me talk to you just a second about what all that means. There is, there is no way that you can truly enjoy all that God has given us until you are rightly related to him. See, because in the same way, when I'm rightly related by love to my wife, then I use the things of the world in appropriate fashions. Then when I'm in a right relationship with God, where my significance, my security, my hope, my trust is all in him, then it allows me to be so much more free to use all the things God has given in appropriate fashion for true enjoyment. Let me give you an example. And I'm always afraid that somebody's going to misunderstand what I'm saying here. So I really need you to give me some grace here. Okay. Sex, alcohol, drugs, rock and roll. Okay. Those things are not inherently wrong. Sex in the context of marriage, is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Alcohol. Now, this is where I get in trouble, but I'm assuming that since Jesus turned the water into wine, okay, drugs. There's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for this little pill called Zoloft. The point I'm making is when you're rightly related to God, you're free to use those things as they were meant to be used to flourish in freedom. If you're not rightly related to God, not only will you not know the correct way to use these things for pleasure and enjoyment, but they will end up being your master and you will end up serving them and they will always let you down. And when somebody comes along and says to me, well, Pastor Jeff, I, I get what you're saying. You're saying I got to trust God for these parameters. And yes, you're right. I am saying that. But there's something else about this. It's hard to know what we Christ followers feel as long as you're on the outside looking in. And you only come on the inside when you actually begin to acknowledge and trust Jesus as your Savior. Then a beautiful journey begins. And it, it, it's like this. For us Christians, somewhere along the line, duty became a choice. When I was dating my wife, Robin, I was amazing. I mean, I would send her red roses all the time. I mean, I never wanted her to return to her dorm, her, her dorm room after class without having a red rose of some kind waiting. I mean, 
Now, I wasn't wealthy and my family wasn't wealthy. So that required a lot of sacrifice to pay for roses. When people get married in my hometown, they all take their new, newly wed wife to Pigeon Forge, Dollywood. And I was determined that I was not going to take my new wife to Dollywood. And so I worked all summer, man, long hours, sun up to sundown, man, seriously. And saved all the money I could so I could take her on this beach vacation. Even now, at Christmas time, I'm not so concerned with what gifts I get. Whatever I get, that's, that's nice. But my greater concern is seeing the look on her face when she opens her Christmas present. Other than the Nutrisystem here, I'm, I'm right on. <laughs> but this happened, this happened because I love this woman, Robin. And so any duty that I have has now become joy and choice. I choose to sacrifice. I choose to give up my rights to meet her needs. There's only one master that's going to treat you like that. There's only one master that you fall in love with first. And because you fall in love when you realize all that he's done for you, your happiness gets put into his happiness. So the things that give you the most joy are the things you know bring a smile to the face of God. See, the problem with most of us, if I can just be honest, is we're not in love with God. We just have a loophole that we think that we can earn some kind of salvation by being good and that will get us into heaven. What he wants is your heart. Because if he has your heart, everything else will follow. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It is a yoke, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, Jesus gives you precepts to follow, but they are not arbitrarily given. They're motivated out of love for you, that you could have the best life possible on this planet by living within the huge sandbox God has given you to play in, knowing that when you get outside the wooden boards, you start to live in a way that you were never designed to live and disintegration sets in. That's the God of the Bible, very unique. The Savior who will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, future, but your heavenly Father who's pulling for you pulling for you because he wants to give you all the joys and the freedoms now that one day will become a reality in heaven when sin is totally removed. You get to choose your master. Choose wisely. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts.
today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines.